0: This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mormon Expressions. My name is George, and I'm your host for this hour of conversation tonight. Struggles of faith appearing in college appear to be a common theme among many who struggle with their faith, whether it's during undergrad or graduate levels. Many people explore new thought processes and concepts, um, these concepts uh, introduced in a very rich academic environment. The LDS historian Richard Bushman had this occur um, early on in his college time at Harvard. I want to quote um, from Richard Bushman. He says, He wasn't, was not debating Mormonism versus some other religion. The only question for me was God. Did he exist in any form or not? I was not worried about evil in the world, as some agnostics are. I suppose Mormon theology had made the existence of evil perfectly plausible. I simply wondered if there was any reason to believe. Was all of religion a fantasy? Were we all just fooling ourselves? I found that quote very interesting um, coming from uh, noted historian, LDS historian, Richard Bushman, um, going through uh, what we're talking about tonight many years ago, and then relating it now. And so tonight, I want to introduce you and, and talk about the fact that we're going to be joined by three current students enrolled in graduate studies around the United States. They're here to tell their stories, discuss common issues and themes related to dealing with a crisis of faith while studying in their chosen field. First off, I want to reintroduce and uh, have her say a, well, first off, why don't we say have everybody just say a big round of highs. Hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Nice to have you all on. We've got Melanie, James, and Clay. Melanie's been with us before. Um, This is her second podcast uh, with Mormon Expressions. Melanie, if I could just have you take a couple minutes to kind of introduce yourself, um, give your history with the church and, you know, a little background of yourself, interest in high school, where you did your undergrad what your kind of what your background is in, in school in the church and then in, bring it into your graduate school focus.
0: Okay, it is kind of a long story. I I was converted uh, to the LDS Church when I was 15. I actually took a seminary class, and no one in the class knew that I was uh, not a member, <laughs> which was interesting. Uh, I had lots of questions that um, apparently already everybody else already knew the answer to. But I uh, read the Book of Mormon that year and uh, gained a testimony of the Book of Mormon and was converted. Um, in high school, I was really interested in drama and debate, and I was also part of the newspaper staff, um, and I loved English. I met my husband uh right after graduating high school, and we were married when I was almost 19. I wasn't quite 19 years old yet. I had a baby when I was about 20, had my daughter, um, it was almost twenty one when I had her. And a couple years after that, when she was about two, uh, we went through a financial crisis of sorts, and I wanted to do something to help out. Um, and through some fasting and prayer, felt that I ought to go back to college. so i I went I started college when I was twenty two, actually, as a mom. So I was always a non-traditional student. Uh, I studied I was actually trying to become a nurse for a couple of years, probably about three years, and I just kept getting turned down for nursing school. And then uh, the last time I applied to a nursing program, my application got lost in the mail. Um, At that point, I felt like I needed to do something different. And we uh, moved back to the area where Utah State is. So uh, I majored in Uh, creative writing they just started a creative writing program there and it didn't seem like a very wise thing to major in but it held a lot of interest for me Uh, and I actually had a lot of success uh, as an English major and it came a lot easier for me uh, to take those English classes than the biology classes especially because I was a mom Um, and that was my skill. was really what I was good at I finished up in creative writing Um, as I was finishing up my husband got a promotion that took us to Iowa and then I applied to some MFA programs out in this area and was accepted uh, to a few, a couple places. But Iowa State uh, offered me a, a really good deal that I couldn't turn down. And so I um, moved to Iowa, and now I'm in my third year at um, Iowa State's MFA in Creative Writing and Environment Program. So that's the recap.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. James, uh, why don't uh, we have you go next? Sure.
2: Uh, I'm a born-in-the-covenant child. When I uh, was in high school, I was really interested in biology, especially sharks, dolphins, whales, about anything related to the ocean. I'd go to the library during lunch while my friends were hanging out at the lunch table and look for new books about sharks. (laughs) And I liked reading Discover magazine, so that's what I do during my lunch period. Uh, I liked, or I did one semester at BYU Idaho after I graduated high school. Then I served a two-year mission in South America. When I got back, I started up again at BYU Idaho and graduated eventually with an associate's. And when I got back, I started up again, or sorry. Uh, from there I transferred to BYU Provo and I majored in zoology. I took classes from William Bradshaw and Dwayne Jeffries among many others. But my favorite class was from Dr. Bauman. He was, gave the intro to entomology class, uh, in the Bee Museum. It was really cool. It was down in the, in the basement and, uh, you just got to see a lot of the behind-the-scenes at the Bean Museum, and I thought that was exciting. After I graduated from BYU, I attended grad school back east, and I got my master's in environmental biology. While I was working on my master's degree, I was also working for a biotech company as a research assistant developing vaccines, and it was there that I got a lot of uh, molecular uh, work experience. And I actually ended up doing my master's uh, degree project at that company, uh, which was uh, a lot of help because I could work on my uh, degree as I was working, so it was really nice. After three years of that, uh, we moved, uh, I moved back to Los, or back west, uh, to Las Vegas. Uh, By this time, I had been married. I got married. My wife and I met. I probably should have mentioned this, met at uh, BYU-Idaho. And when I transferred to BYU, Provo, she transferred also. And we ended up getting married probably a year after we transferred down there. Uh, So I was married at this time. And uh, so we moved back to Las Vegas because uh, she had family there. and We wanted to be close to them. So we spent two years there, and I was working for a small company out there. Uh, didn't really enjoy my job there, and I finally came to the decision. This was when the housing market was booming, and, and everything was so expensive out in Las Vegas. Obviously, that was one of the, the hot spots, and I was just kind of getting worn out uh, financially, trying to keep up, and decided that I would go back to grad school and pursue the interest I had in entomology. So I applied to a few places, got a couple offers, and along the way, I had uh, three children, three beautiful children, uh, who I love to death, and that's where I am right now. Is it a, a master's program or a
1: doctorate program that you're now going for? Then PhD. It is a PhD program. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think we'll have some interesting conversations talking about the biology program at uh, BYU and, and how that compares with what you're getting out outside of that area too. So I think nice. that'll be a interesting uh, course of conversation. Okay. Clay, um, why don't we have you go ahead?
3: I was born in the covenant. I led a pretty typical childhood when I was little, I suppose, in in a fairly orthodox Mormon family. Uh, when I became a teenager, I went through a pretty intense rebellion period and participated in some fairly destructive act, self-destructive activities. But then as, uh, when I turned 16 years old, I had a intense knockdown, in-your-face, born-again experience for, for lack of a better term. And I kind of turned my life around, strained it out a little bit over the next year or two. I did my first and and you guys, it sounds like you guys were always academic, had really good high school interests and stuff. My my interests in high school were backpacking, and I was a pretty terrible student, actually. But I did a year of school at New Mexico State, and then I went on a two-year mission to Venezuela. After that, I transferred up to BYU-Idaho, uh, and I took a geology course because I... I liked that option better than taking uh, chemistry or physics. So I took a geology course. and during the course of geology, I realized that this is what I had always enjoyed as a kid. I always enjoyed looking at the landscape and, you know wondering how it got to be that way, what kind of processes created that. And I didn't know that there was an entire science dedicated to that. So I started, I decided to declare my major's geology. I got my bachelor's in geology there at BYU-Idaho. Uh, while I was at BYU-Idaho, I also got married. And then I pursued a master's degree at, uh, the ge- at, in geology at the University of Wyoming and um, had a kid. It was two years ago, about 2007, when uh, things kind of hit the fan and I really started reevaluating my faith again. And you know, things turned out how they are now, but I finished up my masters in geology in December of 2008, and now I am pursuing a PhD in geology at the University of Wyoming still. So that's my, my history in a nutshell.
1: Very good. Very good. So Clay, you started talking about hitting a crisis. Why don't we just get into a discussion and, and talk about, you know, the crisis that each of you has run into and kind of share some 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 thoughts. And Clay, since you uh, kind of started it down, why don't you take us down that? And was it a crisis caused by your study of geology, or was it something else that was happening in the other spaces in your life? Or
3: yeah, that's you know that's not an easy question for me to answer because it's not really a linear path from from where things started and where I turned out, but. I think there was an element of geology in it, you know. In geology we deal with a lot of problematic questions in the perspective of religion about the age of the earth and we deal with in evolution and evolution of man. And that always was, was interesting, you know. I went to BYU Idaho as a fairly diehard literalist of the scriptures and I actually Spent some time talking to geology professors on how they reconcile their faith with, with scientific data. But I, I came out of that okay. There were some troubling talk to some of my professors at BYU-Idaho and, and asked them how they reconciled faith with science. And I came out okay from that. There were some troublesome issues in the sense that I felt like sometimes there was a line that we couldn't cross. You know, we could dismiss a lot of statements by general authorities and scriptural statements without any problem, but then we'd kind of reach this wall and barrier and, and, and be too scared to kind of cross that barrier and start dismissing some other things. But I came out of that okay and I went on to do my, my graduate work and, and, you know, I was fairly well versed in some of the church's troublesome history, and I wasn't naive by any means. I knew about Joseph Smith's polygamy. I didn't know some of the nuances, but I knew a lot about it. But uh really what happened is in 2007 during the Warren Jeffs trial is what kind of sparked my, my crisis of faith. Here I saw Warren Jeffs trial, and I started asking myself in my mind and saying in my mind, you know, this does not look at all different from what I understand of, of how Joseph Smith practiced some of his polygamy. And that started really bothering me, and I came to a point where I just said, you know what, if I am going to be critical of religions around me and critical of religious leaders around me, I have to be critical of my own faith as well. And I started digging, and uh, things quickly began to fall apart for me. But I guess if I had to put my finger on one topic... It was what spurred kind of my further investigation. It was the Warren Jeffs trial in 2007. Were, were you in school at the time that happened? Yeah, I was. It was actually, you know, I don't, I don't want to misquote dates, but it was either at the end of a summer or early fall and I was doing field work at the time. And I was kind of held up in a, in a cruddy hotel doing field work and had a lot of time to think on my own and, and, uh, watch the news and that kind of, you know, and that was, that was what kind of got the ball rolling. That wasn't my biggest issue, but that got the ball rolling. And I, and I thought to myself, and I don't want to jump questions or anything like that, but I, I really kind of felt like I owed something to kind of intellectual integrity where, If I was going to kind of shake down hypotheses and theories and and you know work out what truth is, then I needed to be you know be honest with myself and my own religious beliefs. So it was while I was in school, and um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know I don't know what to say besides that because I could take you through my entire kind of path from there to where I am now, but I don't know if that would be incredibly useful, but but. That that's kind of what triggered it was the Warren Jeffs trial, my knowledge of Joseph Smith's polygamy, and you know my commitment to kind of investigate it further and and figure out what was going on.
2: So knowing uh, just a little bit about how you how you felt when you finally made that decision that you had to
3: critically look
2: at your own faith.
3: Um, I felt terrible. You know, I felt I felt. Absolutely horrible. I felt like I had reached a point where academia, we sit around and we kind of, you know, shake things foundation and hopefully the cream of the truth will raise to the top and we try to, you know, figure out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and, and I hadn't, you know, I, I had always felt internally like I was critically examining my own faith. I'd get in discussions with friends. I'd get in discussions with with people that, you know, friends of mine that had left the church, and I felt like I was being honest with myself, and I was being critical of my own faith. But when when I actually decided to to stop making excuses for some of the trouble things, troublesome things that I knew, and then started learning more about, you know, it really bothered me. And it and it came to that wall as well, kind of in academia. I could talk to my BYU Idaho professors. And I could, you know, they, by all means, they, they knew that the earth was four points, about 4.6 billion years old. And they knew that, you know, organic evolution took place, but there was, again, there was always a wall that we stopped at. You know, there were always certain questions that we weren't allowed to evaluate too critically. At least that's how I felt. And when I started evaluating those things critically, it, it felt terrible, I guess, to answer your question. It was horrible. It was emotionally trying it was absolutely devastating
2: yeah Uh, to speak to that wall you're talking about i i remember when i was at byu uh i was they they teach they have an evolution class there and it, it actually is uh they don't really hold back they they teach just about everything and or everything i'm aware of that i've learned elsewhere um and one time I decided that I was going to go to my religion professor at the time and uh, ask him about evolution and see what he said. And so I went and I, I went into his office and I said, uh, you know, I have some questions about evolution and what the church's stance is on that. And I had a kind of an idea about it uh, from some of my classes, but... They didn't really go into it. All they did was they talk about it from an academic point, point of view. Uh, but they said, as far as the church is concerned, here's this packet uh, that you can have to read. And it had, you know, the first presidency statements about how they don't take a position on evolution. But I was hoping that going to my religion professor, I might have a more in-depth conversation, I guess. But when I went in I sat down in his office and I the as soon as I told him that I wanted to talk about uh, evolution, he stood up and he said, "Follow me and took me to the uh, what I assume was the department uh, office and just asked for one of these packets that I had already received in my evolution class and handed it to me He wouldn't talk about it which was kind of surprising to me but uh, I think it speaks to that wall that there is there that you're that you're talking about that you experienced at Ricks or at BYU Idaho.
3: I agree. That sounds a lot like my experience at BYU Idaho. I mean, as far as specifics goes, I know people who talk to their their religious professors about evolution, and they'd say things like. Well, I can't really say anything, but I can tell you what Boyd K. Packer says about it and things like that. And so there was definitely a feeling, you know, there was a definite clash between the science and the evolution or the science and the religious department and and even about non-scientific issues. I mean, I remember uh, when I wanted, I actually wanted to find out more about Joseph Smith's polygamy while I was at BYU-Idaho for personal reasons more than anything, because, I think my fifth great-grandmother is Lucy Walker, one of Joseph Smith's plural, plural wives, and I knew nothing about her, and I wanted to know her her story and her experience, and so I would contact religious professors and say, "Hey, I'd like to find out about so and so, you know, Joseph Smith's wife." And they'd say, "Oh well, I don't know a whole lot about that. Maybe you could talk to such and such professor." And the other person <laughs> would say, "Well, there is a book," and they cited Todd Compton, but I don't really like how he portrays the prophet. And I, right. you know, it actually took me quite a long while to actually track down the book and find out anything about Lucy Walker. And and so there is definitely a curtain that people are, are afraid to broach, you know, on troublesome issues.
2: Well, into in the in the church's defense um when we were taught evolution and and I, as far as i know it's still you know taught uh cuz there's a there's a core of uh professors in the zoology department that are very pro teaching evolution and uh very much protecting it at BYU wanting it to continue being taught there and there's uh, we were kind of I don't know if they meant to or not, but one of our teachers kind of got off on a tangent one day and he started talking about the controversy that the class caused at BYU due to mainly uh, Bruce R. McConkey's son, who was in the religion department at the time. I don't know if he still is or not, but I guess occasionally they'd have students like myself who would go to uh, who would go to him and uh, talk, try to talk about it with him, and he would get upset because they would start becoming confused or something. I, I don't really know what happened in those conversations, but he, he had students coming to him with concerns, and so he would go to uh, BYU's higher-ups, President Bateman, I think it was at the time, and complain about it and then the zoology professors would be called in and they'd have a discussion and ultimately they would decide that evolution should continue to be taught at, at BYU. But it was, it was really strange for me to, to know that that was still going on, you know, and that was only maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, that, that kind of stuff was still going on and they were still having to fight to, to teach evolution at BYU.
1: I know it's, it's struggled back and forth, it seems like, through the years. When I was there many years, I don't want to claim how many years ago it was that I was there. They, they had the same struggle, but I think it was much more of the, uh, reality basis and the, and there, you know, it was what the geology departments and biology departments would teach and then you'd go and you'd basically hear something completely different if you went over on your religion classes. And so it was, they were trying. The biology teachers were trying their hardest to teach the the mainstream, and then the the religion te- teachers would say, "Well, those biology people—they don't know anything that they're talking about."
3: Yeah, well, and, and that's that's exactly how it still is. Or you'll have one of the seventy come in and give a, a devotional talk that completely tears down years and years of the geology department's work to try to kind of build up, you know, scientific thought, and they'll come yeah. in and kind of an anti-evolution talk. It's, <laughs> I don't think it's changed that much.
2: Well, when I remember, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago in, in conference. It was an October conference. I'm not sure which apostle it was. I can't remember. But uh, at the talk, they said something to the effect that the Earth was 4,000 years old. <laughs> and that really bugged me. And my my wife still gets on me. She's like, why is that buggy so much? And I'm just like because so many people are going to hear that and they're going to say the earth is 4000 years old the apostles said it. Yeah. And uh so it's that 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 myth is still being propagated by uh perpetuated by by the even the apostles.
0: Uh, I was just going to say I remember when uh as an undergrad actually that first semester in 2002 an enzyme article appeared in February uh uh, basically stating that evolution isn't the way that God created things. I remember at that time that it really put things to rest for me. I remember thinking, "Oh, good, I I don't have to worry about this anymore."
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and and yeah, I I absolutely agree, Melanie. And, and you know, there's still that thought out there. Not to kick a dead horse, but there's still con- there's conflict even within the geology department. Let's see, I don't know about the biology department at BYU Idaho, but I know that in the geology department, we would, you know, correctly teach the age of the earth, we talk about evolution, you know, by all means we accepted, you know, micro and macro evolution through time, but very little was said about human evolution, and it it seemed like a topic of evolution that was either tiptoed around or completely, completely neglected in conversation. I remember my historical geology class, there was one day that we spent talking about hominid evolution and, and how that worked. And it was, I mean, it was a single day, but you know, clearly it, by all means, it's one of the most important steps in evolution that, that occurred. And I even remember cool. talking to a professor one time and asking him about human evolution. And I don't necessarily think that his view was representative of all the geology professors, but even he would come up and say something like, I don't think that humans evolved. I think we were transplanted here or some other, you know, fairly, fairly, you know, dogmatic response.
2: There's one lecture that I remember from BYU in my uh, evolution class and that was when Dwayne Jeffrey came in and he was a guest lecturer that day and uh, he came in, he brought in his, his replica of Lucy into the class and laid it out. And the first the first question he asked the class was, "Why do guys have nipples?" (laughs) And of course, everybody's just like looking at each other, going, "Are we allowed to answer this?" Or and then he goes into to how we have nipples because guys used to be able to give milk too, and you know we've evolved, and now the women just do. And if we're given certain hormones, we can give milk still too, and and all this stuff. it, It was just. It was a very candid uh, lecture on evolution, and it was very enjoyable, obviously. If if you've ever heard uh, Dwayne Jeffries' talk on evolution, it was very engaging, very interesting, and that's probably why I still remember it.
1: And this right? was at BYU in Provo?
2: This was at BYU in Provo,
1: yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let's uh, switch topics just a little bit. We've kind of gone through Clay's experience and what led him down. Um, want to switch over to James and then switch over to Melanie about, you know, what, what created the, uh, the crisis and, and, uh, how you discovered that was going on in your life. So James, if you want to.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, I hate to blame anybody for, (laughs) for what happened to me, uh, but really, my crisis of faith started with Mormon stories. Uh, John, John DeLynn, uh, I love John DeLynn. Uh, I talked with him a couple times. I doubt he remembers me, but uh, as I was trying, as I was beginning this journey of my crisis of faith, and it, it was happening through his podcast, uh, I called him a couple times and talked to him about a, a couple subjects that were bugging me. When I first started listening to his podcast, he was so even handed with the, with the subjects that I didn't really, cause I had, I had downloaded other podcasts and listened to one or two and they were so anti-Mormon that I couldn't stand them. But his was just even handed and I, and I enjoyed it. It was informative. And I was learning things that I had never learned before, like, uh, the Masonic, temple connection i had no idea about that uh, before this i had no idea joseph smith had practiced polygamy i thought emma was his only wife i mean i was just totally ignorant of any real lds history at all other than what i had been taught in seminary and institute classes and uh, those subjects were never broached at least in the classes i was in i've talked to other people that say oh yeah they they talked about that in one of my religion class i'm like well, I took every religion class about that was offered. Uh, I went to Rick's and BYU, and, and I never heard anything said about any of this stuff. But the the one that that really uh, threw me for a loop was the interview he did with Todd Compton. And at first I was like, this, oh, this is, whoa, Joseph Smith had more than one wife, and Polygamy, okay, well polygamy, I had heard about polygamy, I just didn't know that Joseph Smith had practiced it. And you know, I the typical uh churchy uh reason for it I kind of accepted, and it was in the Old Testament, so it was okay. But then he got to the point where they were talking about polyandry. This just <laughs> this just blew me away. I I couldn't believe it. And for about a week after this podcast, at least a week, I had trouble sleeping at night because it was it was the second time in my life where I had questioned the church. And really, uh, the first time wasn't that wasn't that serious, I don't think. But this time it was serious because I began to ask questions like, well, what if what if Joseph Smith? wasn't really a prophet. What if I had just spent, you know, a third of my life, possibly half of my life devoted to this faith that, that maybe has good people in it, but isn't really what I thought it was. And that I, I was really, it threw me into this crisis of faith. So anyway, I struggled for that for about three months before I even had the courage to tell my wife, Because I realized that I was losing my belief in the church. And I've always been taught that if I didn't believe in Joseph Smith, then forget about it. It's all over. I have to believe in him. And I was starting to question that. So after three months, I finally got up the courage to tell my wife that I was really worried about this and... And I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't feel like I could go to the bishop or I could go talk to my parents or anybody else because I was afraid. What if they don't know about it? I've been a member. I've taken all these institute classes. I've taken all, all this these seminary classes. And I never heard about this before. There must be tons of people out there that don't know anything about this. And if they do, then there must be some kind of code saying, uh, code, you know, I, I'm not saying that literally, but. In people's minds, they must be saying, I can't talk about this, so who am I to go out and start talking about it? So I didn't want to talk to anybody because I was afraid about what might happen. Now, now I, now that I've had a little bit of time to, to think about things, I realized that that was probably not a rational fear because I don't, I don't know of anybody that's excommunicated or disciplined just because they have doubts or I probably could have gone and talked to my bishop and been fine, but then again, I don't know, because maybe he didn't know about this stuff, so it could have negatively affected him, and that's what I was afraid of.
1: Were you in school at the time this occurred?
2: I was, yes. I was, uh... What was that like? Uh, it was hard. It was really hard. I... It, it, it took a lot of the focus away from school. I had just started my coursework. This all started about six months after I had started my uh, my Ph.D. program and it didn't affect my grades. I I still got good grades and I started spending a lot of time uh, trying to find out is this is this true is what Todd Compton said true. You know and I I go looking around and trying to find books or looking on fair emailing apologists talking to people on the Internet anything so I could find an explanation because I'd always thought in the past that if I studied something out long enough, then I'd find the answer. And people would bring stuff up against the church, and I'd always find an explanation that satisfied me. Now I look back and those answers don't satisfy me anymore, but, but back then they did. And so I, I had this false impression that if I studied hard enough, then the church would be proven right. And I'd find some kind of explanation that would, that would put my mind at ease and, you know, they'd be wrong and I'd be right. But that wasn't happening. And, and the more that I, that I looked, the more I found, uh, things that just didn't look right. (laughs) And I, and I said to myself, you know, if it was just Joseph Smith's polyandry, maybe I could overlook that. Maybe I could look past that and, and believe and have faith. In this church, but when when there were so many things, you know, polyandry, Book of Mormon problems, uh, Pearl Great Price, Kinderhook plates, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And there just seems like there's no end. I still find things where I'm just like, wow, are you kidding me? (laughs) And so it's hard for me. It can't, there came a point where it was too hard for me to rationalize everything. And I had to just say, you know, if this is what it costs to retain my faith in this church, it's too high a price. I can't, I can't do it. I can say that these are good people and whatever, but I can't say I I know or even I believe because I just don't. And, and I realized that about eight months, uh, my, there was a period, a really dark period for about eight months where I was working through all this. And what finally made me realize that I didn't believe anymore was I went out on splits with the missionaries, if you can imagine that. And, uh, we got to this investigator's house and they, out of nowhere, they turned to me and they said, brother Hanson, will you bear your testimony of the Book of Mormon? <laughs> and wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to, de- how to describe it exactly, but it felt like. I was saying the words that I knew I was supposed to say, but it, but I didn't believe them and it, it really bothered me and I've never gone out with them ever since then. And I af- soon after that, I asked to be released from my calling. I was in the elders corn presence and I just realized that I could not fulfill that calling because I was just totally apathetic to it. I, I really just didn't, didn't, didn't want to be involved with it anymore.
1: I I was intrigued when you said that you were starting to study and go down this route, but you said you still were getting really good grades. I mean that kind of goes against the whole blessed thing. You think if you were starting to study these topics, you'd get really bad grades, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess I I I don't know. I don't know what to say. But it's not, I'm not super smart or anything. I'm I'm just an average uh, student as far as that goes, but uh, it, it did take away from, it probably took more away from the research side uh, my research that I was doing than it did for my uh, grades, because I knew that if I got bad grades, I, I could be kicked out of grad school. So that was a, a, a big motivator for me. But if I, if I laxed on my research, if I was reading uh, Todd Compton's book instead of uh, reading journal articles, nobody was going to notice that right away. So, I think that's probably uh, pr- probably where where it came uh, where my time came from.
0: Um, you said, James, that uh, yeah, you started contacting John Dolan uh, about some of the things that were bugging you, and I was just curious as to what specifically you uh, were interested in talking to him about.
2: Well, yeah. After a while, he had a podcast. Well, I contacted him first because uh I, I, he just always – you know how he is. He just offered – anybody can call me and, and talk to me, just email me. And, and so I emailed him, and I called him up, and I told him that all this started, you know, because I started listening to his podcast, and he told me, well – you're the first person that's ever told me that they've had a crisis of faith because of my podcast, and I'm, I'm going well. There's probably a lot more out there. I can imagine, even though I know his his main goal was to help people. Uh, so it's your they...
3: fault that he took it down off offline for a mm-hmm. while. Is that <laughs> right?
2: I I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there were other people. I think there were other people. But um, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be blamed for that. No, so I, I talked to him about that. The, another time he had a podcast where he was giving his own story, and he talked about Christ and uh kind of he basically said that he didn't believe Christ was the Savior. And at the time, that really bugged me, and I emailed him and, and told I, him I that. I think
3: uh, j- just to be fair to John, I think it, I, I'm going to misquote him, but I think he said something like, He's my savior insofar as I believe his teachings and through his teachings, I can be a better person to be. Saved. Right. He doesn't, right, he doesn't but, necessarily believe in the literal son of, of God and things like that. Is yeah. That, is that what you remember? It's, yeah,
2: exactly. And and that just didn't fit with my concept of Christ at the time. And so it really bugged me. The, the last thing I called him about was uh, uh, that that last thing was an email that I sent to him the the last thing i called him about though was uh homosexuals i was the the homosexual debate i was and this was i, I believe it was before the california thing yeah it was um, i was just really struggling with that trying to understand it because i was always taught well it's a choice and uh just going through my disinfection, i started realizing and i and i also You know, at BYU, they actually taught that that uh, certain things that it wasn't choice. I had Bradshaw, and he. I've learned since I've uh, graduated that he is a uh, a supporter of uh, same sex attraction of people with same sex attraction. I don't know the extent of his support. I know he's given lectures uh, trying to show that it's it's not a choice. but i started to come to the realization that no this is not a choice and these people need to be treated fairly and just like i would be and but but i had problems because it's, it's all throughout the bible it talks about how it's a sin and so i called him up trying i don't think he understood where i was coming from i think he thought i was basically a uh, uh, TBM uh, Coming at him being angry about it But that's not I was I was actually trying To wanting to understand How he Reconciled it Because I At, at the point I still believed In the Bible uh, And I Couldn't reconcile the, the verses that were In the Old Testament the Old Testament okay I can throw that out if I have to but It was also in the New Testament so it was really hard for me to reconcile that when it was in so many places. So, anyway, that's we had a conversation about that. Those are the only times I I talked with him.
1: James, thanks for uh, kind of sharing with us. We'll uh, come back to that in a little bit. Melanie, I want to um, give you a chance to to. Share your story. I know you've done a lot of the story with us on a on a previous podcast, but it'd be interesting to see how it related to to your program and how it might have affected uh, your schooling and things like that.
0: Hmm. Uh. <clears throat> well, uh, as I stated in the other podcast, my, my crisis was really brought about by a a class, a women in religion class, and I think you know something about that class drew me to take it, you know, it was an elective that I chose to. So I, I think there was always questions or I would say knocking inside of me. When I took that class, uh, I started studying, uh, Mormon feminist thought, Maxine Hank's book, uh, reemerging Mormon feminism and, uh, women in authority is the actual title. And I looked closely at some of those concepts and just came face to face with some things that I had shoved down for a while. For instance, uh, I, I think one of the things that I read from that book uh, that really spoke to me was uh, in one of the essays, uh, and I don't even remember which one it was, um, but sh- the author stated that um, she didn't need a mediator between her and God. Uh, and that was something that I became very hung up on as I tried to reconcile some of this thought. Um, that was a point that really resounded with me, that I could not defend from an Orthodox viewpoint. Uh, I couldn't understand why, as a female, I somehow deserved or needed um, a mediator where my husband didn't. Uh, another thing that really bothered me about the temple ceremony is Eve being given to Adam um, and... Adam is not conversely given to Eve. Uh, so there's really a, a strong message of inequality in my opinion, in that ceremony. Uh, and so I, I really had to come, I had to reconcile that somehow. And I, I guess my, my feminist ideals won in the end, I guess is one way to say it. Um But I mean, it was a very long process. I, that was the first thing that happened. Uh, next, after that, I found out about um, the polyandry. Um, and also, I was also very bothered by the fact that Joseph Smith lied publicly about his practice of polygamy. That, that was really d- tough for me to, to deal with or reconcile given that yeah. he was a prophet of God. I couldn't understand how he could lie and also be the prophet. I just couldn't reconcile those two things, especially being given such a pious view of Joseph Smith my whole life. Um, So that was really difficult. So those were the things that I think really brought about my crisis. Uh, When I first read those things about Joseph Smith online, I I didn't believe them. Um, And so I decided that I would uh, go to the library and only get my information out of the library. And we actually do have a Mormon section in the Iowa State Library uh one of the books that I checked out was Fawn Brody's book. Um uh, my professor um actually had some interest in Mormonism and he recommended it to me and I thought it was just um some anti-Mormon book. I didn't know anything about it. Um uh, but I did some research on it and found out it was a very well respected historical work. So then that convinced me to read the book. And even when I read it, I was very defensive and I I picked out any weakness that Fawn Brody had um in that book. But then I also had to acknowledge uh she had really good evidence for some of the claims that she was making, um, and that did that book did change my view of the foundation of the religion forever. Uh, but that's not to say that I didn't try to continue to believe. I really did for a period of a few months, just really tried to stuff myself back into the box <laughs> and be quiet, but eventually it just it just all went out. everything. I mean, the historical, um, was bad but then there was also things that were happening currently in the religion that I didn't feel like I agreed with and the two things combined um, yeah that's a recipe for a crisis so,
1: so it's interesting the listening to the three of you has been has been fascinating because I I kind of think that when I started the the topic tonight, I was expecting you to come in with stories like, yeah, I was in this advanced theoretical thinking class where it was that uh, they were having us explore all of our uh, assumptions and and learn to be critical thinkers on everything. And I started really looking back, and you know, I thought it was going to be an academic theoretical thinking, critical thinking process that that actually caused some of this, but it, it seems like the three examples are very diverse in what you had seen, and it happened during grad school. Was grad grad school the secondary portion of this? Do you think you would have, have run into these crises that you did had you not been in grad school, or did grad
3: school just bring it along even even deeper? I think that you're right in the sense that what instigated the crisis of faith wasn't necessarily grad school, but I think that the environment of grad school definitely um, facilitated the questioning in that, yeah. you know, we're, you know, Some grad courses, all you do is read papers and argue about what the assumptions are and and are they valid assumptions and what were the experiments, and and that's what you dedicate yourself to. And so for me, yeah, it wasn't necessarily grad school that instigated the crisis of of faith, but it was this kind of ideal of intellectual integrity that kind of facilitated me going down the rabbit hole and not stopping until I got to the bottom, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. To, to me, it was, it was kind of, I explained it to my wife and that it, it's really my conscience. That my conscience won't let me accept, uh, things that I accepted in the past just on faith. Because I guess there's a, there's a bit of intellectual part of it that, that goes in there. But really when it comes down to it, it's just, if I were to say that I believe or I know, just like in my experience with with giving my testimony about the Book of Mormon with the missionaries, I would would feel bad as I said those things because I know in my heart that I didn't really truly believe them.
0: Yeah, I would um, agree with that. Um, Conscience um, played a role with me as well. Um, Not in the way I always believed it would when I was, you know, truly believing, but There just came a, there came a point where I felt like I had to do the right thing. Um, but to answer your question, I, I think for me, I think I would have gone through this crisis, but I think it would have taken another 10 years because, uh, I think it's clay said, you know, it really prompts you to ask those questions. Um, and it wasn't like we're being asked directly, but there's things that happened poses, you know, questions being posed that prompt us to go down that road. Um,
2: so I, I think be, I think also when and I know this doesn't require grad school I don't think but I think for some of us grad school is kind of permission to be curious and to ask questions and it's not you're not a bad person for doing that for me I was I was just at the point I mean I I'd worked on my masters and not had not discovered any of this Uh, But for some reason, I was just curious and wanted to know, what do other people out there think about our faith? And and what about some of these things that I've been hearing about all these years? Polygamy, you know, I don't know anything about that. Let me let me see if I can find some books or or uh, podcasts or or something that talks about these things that I've only heard whispered or, you know, talked about in the background and, and and then moved on from. So for me, it was more. I was just at a point in my life where I was curious and I had all the tools I needed. I had the internet. I had, uh, access to basically any book that I would want to read. And, and it was just the right time and I had all the right tools. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you another question about
1: the top – the subject matters that you were you're studying. In my own um, undergrad and, and postgraduate work, I was more on the, the business side and in the, the technical fields of engineering and, and computers. And really there wasn't these types of, of advanced um, critical thinking and some of the things you were just describing. I mean it was more ethical and um, advanced uh, management techniques and, and things like that. With the three of your, your studies that you, you're in, um, women's studies, geology, and biology, those are three areas that I can't help but think. there. I mean, it's almost like you're inviting an, an opportunity to question things of a faith-based or a, a, a different type of a, of a thing other than, than what the science would teach. Is, is, was it because of what you were studying?
2: Well, for me, I as far as like evolution, that would be probably the most obvious thing to question. My my dad is a convert, and he's a scientist; he's a biochemist. They never said anything against evolution when I was growing up. When I got to BYU, I was confused that there was even a controversy about it. I, I learned there was a controversy about it from my evolution professors, and I thought, "Wow, well, that's really weird." I just thought that we just uh, believed in it or believe that's how it happened. And, uh, so it, it never really was, uh, something that I had to change my thinking on. I just kind of went, oh, okay, they're teaching it to me. That's, that's what I've always heard in high school and on, on the PBS specials and stuff. So that's what I believe. What effect do you think
1: BYU either up in Idaho or in Provo? does it make it does it make this crisis easier to handle or harder to handle because it sounds like there's you could go through the BYU experience and make it through just fine but it's interesting the dichotomy between the the two different uh, colleges within the university that the, the Reli- college of religion and the college of the sciences that struggle that makes it very evident that may not exist if you're if you were at a uh, at another university. Does BYU add to it or diminish from this?
3: Uh, I guess I'm definitely glad that I was not at BYU-Idaho while I was going through the crisis of faith. I think that would have been a a pretty hostile situation, and I would have felt pretty trapped. Having said that, you know, I think at least in the geology department, uh, they did a decent job. You know, we had discussions about troublesome issues between science and and faith and things like that, and it was fairly open to discussion. I don't think it necessarily hurt or hindered me being at BYU. I think, if anything, it may have delayed my crisis of faith a few years. On a positive note, I think it gave me at least a little bit of an output because I knew that there were professors that had dealt with this question in the past, and while I was hitting rock bottom and going through my crisis of faith, I actually contacted... A professor that I had at BYU Idaho, a geology professor, and talked to him about it. And overall, he was fairly, you know, he did a good job overall. I mean, the first thing he asked me if, was if I was looking at pornography. But after we got past that question, <laughs> um, after we got past that question, it was it was a fairly productive productive conversation. Not that it helped me in the sense that it it didn't necessarily steer me in a different direction but at least it gave me some comfort that there were people that were devoted to the Mormon faith that have dealt with some of these issues, uh, not necessarily all of them, but some of them.
2: I think it, in Provo, and, and uh, I'm, since I've been to both, I I think it, it's this would be the same at, at, at BYU, Idaho. Um since I didn't go through my crisis of faith there, I don't know exactly how it would have been, but I can guess that it would not have been easy. Mostly, not because of the, the teachers and the classes, but mostly because of the culture that there is there. That uh, if a general authority says something, then it's scripture and don't dare question it. Uh, when you when you start having questions like, uh, what on things like we've been bringing up, that starts to become a problem not only with professors and classes and your bishop but also with just your roommates with your friends with everybody because that's a big no-no you don't you don't talk about the stuff you don't question whereas where I'm at right now I only have to be around that one day of the week so the rest of the time I'm around people that are atheists or uh, have a religion but uh but have chosen to believe in evolution and so that you know that so i'd say in that from that aspect it's a lot easier kind of heard from one of you that it affected your grades
1: in a positive way or it didn't affect them negatively how about everybody else did what did this do to your uh your gpa going through here and did you did you struggle with uh with finding the time to keep up your studies
0: well James has set the bar pretty high. <laughs> it definitely negatively contributed to my studies um, both spring semester and this semester. I'm still kind of going through it but um, yeah it makes it it's difficult when you have you know your whole world crumble um, to care about a specific assignment on a particular day but I I, I did. I wouldn't say like James that my grades didn't suffer at all, but I was able to pull it out in a way that I wouldn't be ashamed to show somebody. Um, so I survived, but it was definitely much more difficult. Yeah,
3: I, I agree with. I my circumstance was similar to, to Melanie's that you know I didn't fail classes and I you know I I did fine and I got through it. Um, it didn't help my grades by any means it did hurt my research though in that i didn't spend nearly enough time on on some things that i probably should have so
2: yeah
1: so where where are you guys down i mean how do you how do you be positive about the future how would you advise people coming along behind you is is there good things that's happened from this is it all is it all bad or What's your what's your outlook, I guess, for the future? Going as you as you look ahead uh, in the next, I don't know, six months to eighteen months,
0: employment, hopefully.
3: (laughs) Good for you, Melanie.
2: (laughs) I second that.
3: I'll still I'll still be in sixteen months. I'll still be working on my PhD. I I probably have uh, three years left, maybe. Um, I don't know. I guess as far as where I'm coming from, um. Right now, I'm, you know, we talk about kind of stages of when people find out about things in crisis of faith. But I consider myself past the angry stage. There's still times of bitterness and kind of um, angst, but, but I feel like I'm past the angry stage and kind of moving on into kind of building my life after that. And I have to say that, I don't know, are we going to talk about why it may be positive to go through this crisis in grad school is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, towards? if
1: you've, if you've got, uh, the positives or just the outlook or just, uh, like to hear what you guys have to say that's, uh, happy.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, after, <laughs> after I was completely crushed and completely devastated, <laughs> my life was turned upside down. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm in a good place. There's still some difficult times, but overall I feel, um, like I'm in a good place and my wife has been incredibly supportive. I feel lucky in the sense that I have my, you know, I have over maybe two-thirds of my life left. You know, I'm not two-thirds or, or, or fifths of my life through and then find out that, that uh, I'm going to change my mind. I still have a lot of life ahead of me, and I feel good about that. Um, also, something that has happened that directly influenced some choices that I'm happy about is that, As a geology major, there's, there's different employment opportunities and then there's academia. Prior to my crisis of faith, I feel like in my life, the church has pushed me to make practical choices and not necessarily choices that are driven by, by passion and devotion. And I'm not saying that that's a direct consequence of the church or anything, but just in my life, that's how it's worked. And as a geology major, I was going to get a, you know, a a good paying job. Um, as a petroleum geologist for a petroleum company, but kind of after my crisis of faith happened, I decided, you know what, this just isn't what I want to do, and I'm going to do something else. And I'm so that's when I actually decided to get my PhD and to try to go into academia and to teach people and and follow that avenue. So even though they're not directly linked, you know, I can't draw a complete correlation there. I think that my crisis of faith instigated a better employment opportunity for me.
0: I echo the sentiment of the the age part. Uh, When I I contacted Bob McHugh uh, when I was first going through this, and he said, you're so lucky that you're still 30 years old. And I was, I think he said he was 40 or 45. He's like, I'd give anything to have those years back. Um, So that did make me feel like, well, you know, better sooner rather than later that I went through this. And then also there, I think there's just... A lot of peace knowing that you're not going to hell because you didn't get your visiting teaching done last month. <laughs> and, uh, feeling like, you know, such a, all these literal things that you're being told are not necessarily true. There is a lot of peace with that, you know, and I can go forward and, and pursue things that I want to pursue in my life and there is no guilt associated with those choices. Um, and that's all very wonderful and positive. Um, so yes, good things can, can come out of it.
2: I I agree with that. I I agree with the, with both of the things, the the age thing and the, and the guilt thing. It took a while for me, even after I started to not believe fully in the church, it took a while for me to kind of shed the guilt that, that came along with that and not feel like I was just this total loser for not being, for not being totally involved in the church anymore or not totally believing. The the advice that I would give to anybody that's, that's going to be in school and not just grad school, even undergrad, I think that, that wants to investigate church history would probably be to, if you haven't started already, don't (laughs) wait (laughs) until after. I guess. And I I recently, I I broke down and I went to a psychologist and I, I probably should have done it like three years ago when I started going through this crisis of faith, because that like, uh, like Clay said, it, it, it's just a really uh, bad time and a really depressing time, letting go of, of all these things you've learned your whole, your whole life. But instead I go at the very end after I've already worked through all that, uh, just to see if talking to someone else would help me find peace with it all. And after about an hour of, of talking, to him about it, he basically said, why why can't you just put it aside and come back to it after you graduate? I, w- I would say if somebody is capable of doing that, then definitely do that. <laughs> I couldn't do that and I tried to explain that to him and, and he just had the most perplexed look on his face like, what, why is this such a big deal? Just let it go. Just put it over there and come back to it. You can spend all the time you want on it after you graduate. You just didn't understand. But if somebody can do that, I would highly recommend it.
1: Well, it would, be, it would be the combined thing of just the amount of time that you're spending on this and then the emotional energy that happens because there's going to be that angry phase that that comes through and overwhelms you or the sadness phase or the, that, lot, that grief. That's not going to be easy to add to it as, as well. Well, I want to thank you all. This has been a a wonderful conversation. I think it uh, went down some incredibly important areas of uh, not only your lives and and what you've gone through over the last few years, but uh, I really like this uh, the last part of it where you were able to to share some uh, some of the positive aspects. Thank you, uh, all three of you, for uh, joining us. And I think this is going to be uh, wonderful to share out and. And get plenty of great comments coming in so uh, it's been great having you um, again thanks everybody for listening to another session of mormonexpressions.com and we will talk to you again soon thanks thank you